Podcast One. Today's guest has had 30 Billboard number one hits. Now, he's a hugely successful Beverly Hills real estate agent, and he hosts his own show on Netflix. It's a mind-boggling episode 493 of the award-winning small business big marketing podcast. Yeah, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead, now here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing's top hits. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you are so ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. And that's exactly why this podcast exists. But if that's not enough, you can grab a copy of my popular marketing book, The Boomerang Effect, that I wrote with you in mind over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Big episode today. I reckon almost as big as last week's, which was rather large. Ex-music producer, now Beverly Hills real estate agent and Netflix host, Peter Lorimer, takes us on a wild ride that includes philosophical ponderings, business challenges, and genius marketing ideas. And oh, by the way, it has a language warning firmly attached to the interview. (laughs) So if you've got any kids in the room, turn up the volume. This week's Monster Prize Draw winner has gone from being a marketing non-believer to employing a full-time marketing manager. Plus, I'll let you in on next week's guest who runs an emotionally charged business. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Quick update, thank you, thank you, thank you for the feedback on the Seth Godin interview. I knew it would be big given the teaser video that I'd done a couple of weeks prior. In fact, I did just after the interview uh, I did with him and you guys just loved it and I'm so glad it's added a mountain of value to the way you think about your business. Um, Speaking of teaser videos, the teaser video I did on the Brenton Ford interview a few weeks ago went to number one or is still at number one on LinkedIn for the hashtag marketing. So if you want to see these videos, it's just a little bit of me in a funny situation relevant to the interview, like the Brenton Ford, he's a swimming coach, so I did that video in my pool. (laughs) Um, You can see them on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can find all my links on the show notes to this episode. I'd love you to join me. All right, today's guest. Every now and then, I finish an interview and literally punch the air with excitement, and this was one of those interviews. After a record-breaking career in the music industry working alongside Pink, In Excess, Seal, Bowie, George Michael, just to drop a few names, and accumulating 30 number one Billboard chart hits along the way, Peter Lorimer escaped the vice-like grip of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and went into real estate in Beverly Hills. Fairly normal career progression. Peter now employs over 200 very unique individuals, and he also hosts a show on Netflix called Stay Here. Now, in this very personal chat, Peter is extraordinarily generous, incredibly philosophical, and full of business and marketing nuggets. Here's Peter, the moment I suggested we start recording. 
All right, let's go. Good on you. Well, Peter Lorimer, welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really excited about chatting to you because you have had what I would consider a very, very interesting <laughs> career. Tell me, before we get stuck into that career, what gets you bouncing out of bed in the morning? Oh, God. Um, extremely strong coffee. Um, <laughs> and what gets me out of bed in the morning? So I've kind of got this new thing at the moment, which is I set my alarm at 5 a.m. and I try and be in the gym at 5.30 and I try and be back working by 7 o'clock. Oh my goodness! So, what gets me bouncing out of the bed? We're gonna—I can tell—we're already already gonna get deep on this one. But yeah, yeah. what what gets me bouncing out of bed is okay. I don't wish this to sound syrupy in any way because it's not meant to. It's, it's, it's the absolute truth. I'm a guy who genuinely lives in gratitude. God, I can feel myself digging myself <laughs> into a hole already. Why do you live in gratitude, Pete? Well, let me tell you. I live in gratitude because I lived a lot of my life as a wild man uh, and got into a lot of bad habits. And for the past 18 and a half years, I've had very good habits. And so I feel pretty blessed and lucky. I've got a great missus. I've got great kids. I've got a great company. And really, I've got nothing to whinge about, as you would say. And uh, what makes me bounce out of bed is the fact that I realize that I am an extremely hardworking passenger in my own life. And it is my job to get up and work as hard as I can in being of service to as many people I can, not just real estate, but in life. And then essentially the results are none of my business. That's a beautiful answer. What does living in gratitude look like? I'm sure we've all that had this experience, right? So those of us that still write on blackboards or on our, you know, in our iPhone notes or wherever we make a list of clients, I'm sure every one of your listeners has, has done the following. We've looked at our list of potential clients and we've gone, and I've gone, ah, shit, none of these are going to pop. This is a joke. He hates me. She doesn't remember me. They're not realistic. It's just never going to happen. What's the point, right? And you look at your list and you essentially talk yourself into jumping off a bridge. And, <laughs> and then what happens, what I've done is after years of, of this experience, both in and out of the music business, I've realized that I shouldn't necessarily believe my own debating society that live in the base of my neck. <laughs> And I take a break and I go walk around the block or I go have a sandwich or better still, I call someone else to see how their day is. And yeah. when I go back in the room, I look at the board and I go, look on me, I'm super busy. This is cranking. And it's just what allows me to remain in gratitude is the following. I'm alive. I live in LA. I live at the foot of the Hollywood Hills. I have a great missus, great kids, a great company. I'm not going to get shot today, hopefully. I'm not going to get bombed. I'm not going to be told I can't drive a car because I'm a woman. So, and I live in the Sunshine State. What is there not to be grateful for? Well, you can't argue that. What a beautiful answer. Didn't expect that. You're right. We went deep. So just to confirm, we have got four hours for this interview, right? 11 and a half, I thought. That's what I've got in my notes. Pete, you, you did live a wild life before you entered the real estate industry in 2010. Yep. Uh, you were, you were Tw 2005, music. I got in the 2005. Tell, describe your life as a music producer. What were you doing? Who were you working with? I suppose I can do it in three words, really. Um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
<laughs> I mean, is it true? Is that is it not not a cliche? No, it's absolutely true. What were you actually doing? So it all began. What? Um, so I grew up in the industrial north of England in a city called Leeds. And I, like many other folks, wanted to, you know, there's people that like to escape, right? They're always thinking, well, I want to move to, I came from a, a town of, you know, probably about 750,000 people. And then I wanted to, you know, escape my situation because I grew up in a pretty rough part of my town. And I either got into, you know, I guess the equivalent would be gangs now or crime or fighting or music, which was my case. And I buried myself in a music career. Uh, I just went to a regular state-run school and my older brother played trumpet and, and I really admired my older brother and my dad played sax, saxophone. And I'm like, great, I want to play trumpet like my brother so we can practice together and it'll be great. And... I went to my brother's school when, when he was in their third year and I was in the first year. And I said, have you got any trumpets? And they went, no, all we got is this old crappy trombone. And I took the trombone and like the obsessive compulsive guy I am, I just would not rest until I utterly mastered it. And within a couple of years, I was getting um, really good grades in the Royal College of Music kind of youth exams. And then I was actually offered a free scholarship by the Royal College of Music to, as being one of the UK's most exceptional young wow. classical trombonists, if you can believe it. This is like a Billy Elliot story. No shit. I come from that area. You do. You do. I do. I've I got to pause here because I'm having this weird kind of thing happening. There is a very old friend of this show who lives in LA who doesn't not look like you, who is from the north of England, who has made it big as a result of not wanting to make it small. And I reckon you're going to know him. Do you know Steve Sims? Steve Sims. God, that oh, name sounds so familiar. You do. He owns a company called The Bluefish, which is a big concierge service in LA. Anyway, I thought you were going to go, do I know him? He's my brother. No, but no, I'm, I, I'm sure I've come. Is he Australian or English? No, he's English. He's, he's a northerner. Yeah. He's, you know what? That name sounds terribly familiar. He, he um, anyway, that's uh, listeners would know him. He's done a lot on this show. Well, um, Steve, we if you're listening, and I do know you really well, and I'm just not recalling it, please forgive me. Because remember, there was a couple of decades of indulgence in there that have Correct. erased some brain cells. I interrupted your. This is your life story, but so, I think my question was, what were you doing in the music industry besides sex, drugs, and rock and roll? So I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. We've got eleven and a half hours, listener. Here we so, have. We have. So, so pull up a sandwich and a cup of coffee. Here we go. And so anyway, I was playing, uh, uh, I got this free scholarship and then I, I, I remember I was tall. I was playing with musicians that were a lot older than me. I was probably 14, 15. Well, I was 14 and they were like 19, 20, 21, 22. And in the UK, if you look 18, you get into the nightclubs. And I remember discovering around the mid eighties, I heard Jack Your Body by Steve Silk Hurley. Ooch, 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 ooch. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck the trombone. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and I literally dropped out of high school and went off, moved to London when I was 15. Ah. And, and then, you know, I just, like any kid with his head full of dreams, I, I arrived in London not knowing a soul, literally bag on the backpack under one arm, trombone <laughs> under the other. And then I walked up and down Oxford Street asking these shops to give me a job. And I got nice. a job. 
and then I managed to worm my way into the nightclub scene, and then I managed to worm my way into recording studios as a security guard of all things. Are you mm. hearing that dinging? No, I'm not. But, okay, good. Uh, Maybe good, that's good. in your head from some of the drugs that you did. <laughs> in the day. Uh, you want to talk about the dinging, uh, Pete? Feel free to. Maybe this can be a session. No charge. And then, and then, so in a, in a long answer, Ding. what I did was, Ding. thank you, um, I slowly became a record producer. And I was there at the birth of the electronic music scene. And I, uh, I produced, you know, and remixed and wrote lots of hits and worked with, you know, massive artists of the day. And that was, that was it. Mick Jagger said to me once, always drop names. So go ahead. Who'd you work with? What songs did you write? <laughs> So I go as far back as, uh, who was my, my first remix? Actually, I've got that record on the wall right now in my studio at home. It was Mama Gave Birth to the Soul Children by Queen Latifah and Dulles Soul. And then I went for, I kind of worked on a bunch of other hip hop stuff. And then I had the opportunity to work with David Bowie. And then what? I worked with your boys in excess and had a bunch of hits with them. I worked with Cheryl Crow. I worked with Pink. I worked with Seal. I worked with Christine Aguilera. I worked with, uh, oh, God, I've just lost lost track of how many. Well, I'm, what I'm really interested in then, let's just kind of, I'm diverting this back to some kind of business discussion, but that's an incredible list of very, very high achievers, people at the top of their game. Yeah. I want to go through some of those names you mentioned, Pete, and, and wonder, if anything, what did you learn from them? So let's start with Bowie. You know, that was one of the, that was kind of the first major artist that I, I worked with. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, it was, I think it was 1989. And I was in awe. And it was, what was the name of the track? Fame, fame, fame. Fame, fame. That's right. I did Fame 90. That's it. Fame 90. God, it sounds like 100 years ago. And I guess I learned from Bowie how to wrap an, uh, a new composition, which I guess when you do a remix, you recompose the music to somebody mm-hmm. else's vocal. And I really learned how to weave in and out of a superstar's vocal without treading on them and enhancing their performance. And, you know, with someone like Debbie Bowie, it's pretty easy, you know? What about just dealing with these people? Because again, even in your real estate career, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to shortly, uh, in the, in the fifth hour, I think it is, I've got that scheduled for, <laughs> you, you, you are dealing with very high achieving people. I mean, Pink, Cheryl Crow, In Excess, George Michael, Christine Aguilera, Bowie, Seal. What, what do you, what is it that you need to do in order to have a fantastic working relationship with that caliber of person? You know, and then a list actually continued in my real estate career. Now, unfortunately, uh, I wish I could drop names with those folks, but I just can't because I've had to sign NDAs. But I still work with some of the biggest music people on the planet. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an identical relationship, which is this blend of treating them in a very respectful yet normal way right like and and i didn't always get it right i will tell you this i have a tragic it's not tragic because everything i've done even my colossal mistakes have led me to this moment and in this moment i'm full of gratitude so obviously it weren't a mistake but i screwed up with george michael man i screwed up royally royally I imagine of all those names, he would be a particularly difficult person to work with. How did you screw up? He was the nicest guy in the world. 
Sorry, George. And, I love you. And he, by ch- this is complete kind of like, I was working in a recording studio in London. And this guy walks in who's doing a dance track. He'd heard that I was beginning to build a dance clientele. And then he said to me, I really like you. I want to manage you. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, I was, I don't know, 20 or something. And then he said to me, I'm bringing a superstar to the studio tomorrow. Don't freak out. And I'm like, okay, knock yourself out, mate. I'm thinking, who, who can be bigger than, uh, who, who can be bigger than the Happy Mondays? I thought to myself. <laughs> and uh, down come the steps on a Sunday morning, Mr. George Michael. This is like after, maybe it was even during the Faith album, which of course was colossal. Yeah. Colossal. And, you know, George, bless his heart, was uh, the cousin of this this dude that was going to manage me, and they were exceptionally close. So I was in George Michael's life. And I don't, I'm not doing this to try and drop George's name, but for the record, for the record, he was the nicest freaking guy you could hope to meet. The funniest, sweetest, most genuine, most generous individual and the world is a worse place for not having him here i'll tell you i've read books on him i've watched documentaries on him uh, a very giving man I, I i said he was di- would be difficult to work with only because he's such a perfectionist oh no 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 that's all right i mean listen i, I don't there's no offense taken there but anyway so george i didn't know i was a headstrong kid and uh you know cbs records call me into i remember it vividly they call me into their uh cbs records used to be on soho square in london they the chairman calls me in george is there uh, this bloke Andros is there as well. And, you know, George wanted to start putting out underground tracks on my label, which I thought I got on my own merit at CBS. And I turned down the bloody record. I turned down George's underground tracks. Now, because I really thought I was a head, no, I was a nice, but headstrong, like, you know, keeping it real. I've got to do the right thing for them, for, for my label. When really I look back on it and, and I should have had signed those records by George because that was a stupid, stupid move. Oh, Pete. Well, I've always wanted on this show to interview the bloke who said no to the Beatles, but I've just come <laughs> sick. <laughs> I said no to George Michael. Fucking hell. Oh, well, we all make mistakes. And I think there's a wonderful quote of yours, You've uh, and I quote, you've made a career out of going hard towards what you've decided to do without giving failure the audacity to show up as an option. So, um, you know, whilst you may have failed, you, know, you certainly don't. You, maybe you acknowledge them and very quickly move on. And now that you are living in gratitude, it's a much easier way to move on anyway, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I think the thing is this, right? So fear uh, is is a very cunning and baffling and crippling foe, right? It's a sweet, believable poison that just trickles in our ears. Um, and there is nothing, no bigger crime than to kind of remain in the middle of the pack. Mm. For me, if I'm going to be a skydiver or a scuba diver or a record producer or a real estate agent, I'm going to run at it as hard as I possibly can as quickly as I can, because if it's going to fail, I don't fear failure. If it's going to fail, I want to f- all succeed. I'd prefer to find out sooner than later, because if it is going to fail, I'm going to go, great, what next? As opposed to being fearful and playing in the middle and not wanting to piss people off and not, you know, not wanting to stand out. I've just never really understood that kind of that, that ethos. For me, it's like, 
you know what, let's go a thousand miles an hour to see if this shit sticks. And if it doesn't, great. What's next? I wonder whether living in LA gives you permission to do that. And you'd know that because you've lived in London, which is, I'm going to guess, a much more conservative place. Uh, You are talking in the main to an Australian audience. I'm just wondering, you know, does the fact that you live where you live allow you to be who you are? Uh, I I have to give a big fat honest. I do believe it has massively contributed to my success. And, you know, I often talk about this with, uh, with people, you know, when they ask about the UK and stuff. You know, I come from a very ordinary part of, uh, and if you're listening from Leeds, I do love Leeds and Leeds is a beautiful city now. When I grew up, it was a shithole, but it's, it's a really nice place now. And so if I tried, my first office was in, in the, right in the heart of Beverly Hills. And if this working class lad who didn't even graduate high school with a rough northern accent tried to open up a brokerage in the middle of Mayfair in London, I would be laughed out of town mm-hmm. because there are all these preconceived notions of lineage and who my father was and what school I went to. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just very different Mm. in America. And I think especially in California, people, we all know that we all come from somewhere else. So people don't really give a shit who your dad is and what you did. And you know, how many PhDs you've got, they look you in the eye. And if you're hardworking and honest, you get a break. A past guest, Andrew Banks, on this show, who was one of the sharks on the Australian Shark Tank and a very successful entrepreneur in Australia, uh, who spends half his time in LA, by the way. He talks about going into meetings in LA and the attitude is, how do we make that idea work? Which is not the attitude in Australia. We tend to sort of like shy away from new ideas and we we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome in Australia, whereas in LA, it's, it's completely quite the opposite. You're listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, and we're chatting with award-winning music producer Peter Lorimer, who in 2010, well, it's actually 2005, he tells me, left the music business behind and with his wife, Cindy, launched PLG Estates, which is a real estate agency in the heart of Beverly Hills. Pete, that's an extraordinary career move. Why the move into real estate? (laughs) So... So your numbers are, are, are kind of half right because I did start PLG in Beverly Hills in 2010, but I actually got into real estate in 2005. And I'll give you, listen, I love Australia. My brother lives in Sydney and, and I have always felt an affinity with the Aussies and I, I love you all. And I hope you guys are all all right from the fires, you know? Yes. So how does one go from sex, drugs and rock and roll to cookies and sparkling water and open houses? Because it is you know, a a massively different uh, world. So I could give you some kind of shitty, phony answer, but I don't want to do that. I want to give you the real answer. You got the ass from the... They finally saw the real Peter Lorimer, I'm guessing, and said, (laughs) get him out of the music industry. And like everyone who fails in another business, they go into real estate. (laughs) Pretty much. Fortunately, (laughs) I didn't realize that when I went into real estate. I thought I'd found a secret exit that nobody else had found. Right. But... I have kind of intimated at this. I I was gleefully indulgent in my music career. I mean, I did, you know, pounds of drugs. I did so many ecstasies. I rattled when I walked around, you know, and it's great when you're 22. I don't recommend it for anybody listening, and I'm certainly not a proponent of it, but it was a moment in time. It was the, it was the summer of love in 89 and beyond. 
dance music was having its day and I just indulged along with a lot of other people that were indulging. Skip forward, you know, it kind of, it's a great life, but it kind of wears heavy on you. And I remember thinking when I was about 30, I need to freaking do something else because this is going to kill me. And I notched up, this sounds very flippant and it's not meant to, but I had, I don't know, approximately 25 number ones in the UK. I certainly had uh, over 30 number ones in the Billboard Club charts in the US. And I remember thinking, where do I go from here? You know, I get 35, you know, big deal. And in dance music, you know, the, the, the money was great, but it isn't like I'm writing hip songs for Mick Jagger. You know, it's, it's a different genre. And so I made great money, but I realized that if I remained in the electronic music scene, you know, I could become a victim or an overdose or something. And I remember I decided to kind of clean my act up. I got sober and I've been sober for 18 and a half years. And I remember meeting, <laughs> meeting this girl when I was newly sober and uh, she was freaking toxic, man. She was awful. She was this British girl in the UK and she just treated me like shit. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I'm over it now, but <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you can hear in my voice. I've been married yeah, yeah. for 16 years. Yeah. No attachment there. <laughs> <laughs> and she had this successful antiques business right in the middle of West Hollywood. And she shut that down and got into real estate and she was awful. I mean, she was terrible. She was snooty and just a bitch. And, and I remember, and she did pretty well. So I thought, shit, if she can do it, she's toxic. I can do it as well. Cause I'd been looking for stuff to do. I had began to invest in properties in Los Angeles cause I was a big believer in LA. And in part, I was a big believer in LA because my brother lives in Sydney in, in uh, Avalon and his house was four times what, what property was in LA. And I'm like, it's only going to go up. So I started investing. I seemed to have a bit of a knack for it. And then I decided to let all of the creatives that I'd worked with in, in California know that I was doing real estate. And to my utter amazement, Lots of them didn't bat an eyelid and said, well, we loved working with you in the music business. Of course, we'll work with you in real estate. Oh, how was that? I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? <laughs> so if I was your dentist, you'd let me do brain surgery on you if I got my brain surgery <laughs> license? And, and the idea of moving into real estate, well, I've had actually a past guest, David Rain, who, again, TV star in Australia, host of a very big travel show called Getaway. His brother played in one of Australia's biggest rock bands, bands Australian Crawl. David made the transition into real estate. And I remember asking him whether that dented his ego. He said it didn't. What about you? Great question. So I think this is really powerful because I think ego, we're going to get into the deep shit now. I think ego is really fear with a fancier name, mm. right? Because ego is essentially what you, what, what you think other people think of you. And I have never found anything productive to come from ego. So I'll tell you my journey, right? So I had my, I think it was my 33rd number one in the American uh, dance charts. I had a number one in 12 countries at the moment I retired and uh, with Paul Oakenfold's label. And so, you know, I had something to crow about, but I knew I was exiting the dance music business. And I remember getting my license and I decided to work for a company called Keller Williams. 
And I literally shuffled into the back of that office meeting and I didn't tell a soul what I did or where I came from. I didn't want to color any of my relationships with anything. I was just there to grind it out, learn my trade and not rest on any laurels. And so I really just didn't take any ego to the mix. And truth be told, and this is very common with people that are sober, we have pretty shitty self-esteem. So I didn't want to start blathering to people about how fabulous I was. I just kept my nose to the grindstone and, and just learned my craft. And within two years, I was the number one agent in that office. Were you really? So Pete, uh, 2005, that's 2005, five years later, you start PLG Estates, which is your current uh, real estate company. Paint us a picture of the area you service, typical clients, typical homes that you sell. So this is really, there was, there was a, people often say to me, Pete, you know, I, I ended up, after five years, I was the number one Keller Williams agent in Los Angeles, right? Which is big. I mean, it's a big county with a lot of agents. And people say, Pete, what were, you, what were you thinking? Why did you why did you start your own firm? Truth be told is before I even got my license, I wrote down starting my own firm as a goal. So I like to build things, not just literally, but when I was a record producer, I like to be the guy behind the curtain with the levers, you know, controlling the final product. And, and I guess it's the same with the brokerage. And so I felt that LA was a city that was full of creatives, which it is, right? It's full of, the, we've got the movie business, we've got the music business. You know, now we've got Silicon Valley moving into LA. And I'm like, this is a city full of creatives. Yeah, everybody, all the real estate companies to me, they all look and feel the same. Nobody's really going after the creatives of, as a niche. So I set up shop in my first office was probably about the size of a barbershop, right? small barbershop and then i put it out to the world using the new system social media that we were a creative company founded by creatives serving the creatives of la and i remember looking at my missus cindy going well it'll work or it won't we'll sink or we'll swim but we'll do it under our own steam and if it fails you know what next and la ate it up you know the, the creatives came out I got this one celebrity, a very big British actor. He's new into the uh, Furious, Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, I'll just say okay. that. Uh, yeah, I don't watch that. I oh, well, anyway, he's in, he's in that. And he's a nice guy, really, really nice guy. And, and I managed hey, to kind of… You listed his home? You brought him in as a… Well, I, I got introduced to him as a client. And, you know, his career was on the Ascension and uh, I just made sure that I watched that like a like a mother hen watching its hens with foxes around the hen house. And I just was utterly of service, making sure that every whim, every house, every pickup, every drop off, everything was perfect. Oh, so this is, you got this fellow you got as a buyer. As a buyer. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. So you serviced the pants off him, so to speak. And I'm guessing then uh, you did a great job, got a testimonial and uh, he told all his friends and um, PLG skyrocketed. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I got my name out. I got my name out there as 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 an agent working with that crowd, and then you know, PLG kind of got this flavor, and you know, I did multiple transactions with him, and and then nice. you know, it's it was just kind of a knock on effect. But I think the most, the fundamental difference, it wasn't just word of mouth. What really shaped PLG? Because at the end of the day, PLG started with me and my wife. But now it's its own entity, and it has been for many years. It's a living, breathing beast with almost 200 agents. 
Amazing. And the thing that really made us stand out is that I made sure that we created unique, opinionated, creative social media that wasn't just doing walkthroughs of houses and just all this kind of, you know, frothy bullshit that people do. We were doing kind of sometimes racy stuff that was authentic and real and totally reflected in the PLG culture. And people were attracted to it. Let's break that culture down because there's a wonderful statement that appears on the homepage of the PLG website. And it really paints quite a picture of a real estate business that certainly in Australia would be unique and clearly in LA it is. So it says, I'll read it first, Pete, and then we'll go back and just break some of the key words down. At PLG Estates, we have a rather punk rock approach to real estate. We dance to the beat of our own drum whilst living on the bleeding edge of our industry. PLG is a SWAT team of the best creative minds in LA Realty. Hand-selected, no filler. We're individuals with a more collaborative ethos with the unspoken motto of when one wins, we all win. So let's start by asking, what, what do you mean by a rather punk rock approach? When a client comes up and says, would you list my, my property? Do you just say, no, 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 fuck off. <laughs> or, how does this work? So I guess the punk rock approach would be this, and, I, and I've used this phrase many times when I've sat down with agents, right? So I have a lot of colorful agents I have a lot of people that, you know, don't look like real estate agents at my firm. And some of them, I have, they've said, you know, is it okay to play music at the open houses? And I'm like, mate, I don't care if you, and I'm talking to a, a six foot two guy here. I said, I don't care if you play Metallica at full blast, wear a tutu and have jack boots on. As long as you believe that is in the best interest for the client and the client has given you permission to do so. Mm -hmm. And they're like, really? So the punk rock approach is, I guess, breaking it down is punk rock broke the shackles of traditional pop music. And at PLG, we broke the shackles of traditional real estate marketing and real estate company ethos by really saying, the product, as a real estate agent, we don't just sell houses, we sell trust. And, and I'm a massive believer in you run after your tribe. You don't run after everyone. You run after your tribe. So if you want to be, you know, wear a trench coat and eyeliner and go out and show houses, if you believe in it, do it. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the punk rock approach to it. It's like we don't attempt to fit in. We are who we are. We don't want to work with everyone. We want to work with the people that we all want to work with. Uh, that explains the next two bits of that positioning statement. You dance to the beat of your own drum and you live on the bleeding edge of your industry. You're clearly a disruptor. In order to be a disruptor, do you actively, formally sit down with your team and say, what are the conventions of the real estate business in Beverly Hills? What are they doing? And how can we flip those ideas 180 degrees so we're not like them? Or does this stuff just organically happen? So great question. I know people that sit down and analyze the industry to see if there's a niche that they can occupy. To me, that sounds like a whole hell of a, like a brain ache, hard work and fraudulent activity. For me, we are an island. In fact, I lovingly refer to my, my, my guys as the island of misfit toys, right? And we are unashamedly different. 
And I, when people come in and agents come in and interview and I say, look, we don't appeal to everyone, but the people that we appeal to love us. And so in a way, I really don't care what the rest of the global industry is doing. We are a little satellite, the planet of PLG doing it our way. And those that want to land on our planet are more than welcome. And if you don't, God bless you. You'll get nothing but you know, positive vibes and best wishes and maybe even free advice from us. We have a, I live in a little seaside village in Australia called uh, Noosa, not unlike Avalon where your brother lives. And we have a barber shop here called Scumbags. And Harrison, who owns Scumbags, is very clear that he wants his clientele only to be the scumbags of the local area. (laughs) (laughs) He polarizes a whole lot of people. You I guess do the same in the sense that, and I love the idea of these, we talk on this show about owning a niche an inch wide and a mile deep, Pete. So, you know, you are very clearly putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is PLG. This is what we stand for, like us or lump us. Um, I imagine, do you know that you've lost significant amounts of business as a result of being who you are? Again, when one, okay, we're getting into philosophies now. So, this is how I approach every day, right? And, and it, this took a few years to figure this out, but this is how I approach every day now. Instead of worrying about the results and instead of worrying about, you know, getting too deep into, into kind of expectations, every day for me is I stand in front of this conveyor belt, down the conveyor belt comes a big pink box with a big red bow on it with today's date. I open it. Inside, sometimes there's puppies and rainbows and birthday cake and champagne. And then other days there's hand grenades and, you know, somebody jumps out with a machete and cuts my head off. But Pete, you are still taking those ecstasy tablets. I think there's a bit of residue kicking in right now, listeners. <laughs> but that's how I, I, I handle it. Uh, and I, I essentially, I just, I'm unaffected by it everything else that's going on. Our company is unaffected by everything else that's going on around us. And to answer your question, do I think we've lost business? I actually don't. I think we've probably lost some business, but I would bet my ass that we've probably quintupled the business we actually captured because we were different. Mm. Nice. Got it. You're listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, and we're chatting with Beverly Hills real estate agent, Peter Lorimer, who also happens to be a content marketing ninja and a philosopher. So let's talk marketing, Pete. What's the secret to selling ultra high ticket items using your true, your first love, which is social media? So I wish, I wish it was as easy as doing a sexy video. When you're dealing with ultra high net worth individuals and, and big price tags, let's say, you know, north of, well, let's say north of 7 million, right? For me, social media, I wish it was the be all and end all. I wish all I had to do was make cool videos of me rattling on about various subjects or doing funny vlogs or doing property videos. And then the clients just roll in. It isn't the case. Social media for me is the ability to use these digital platforms as essentially bus benches right? It's making sure that when I use social media, especially when selling a high value home, that I am then taking that media and it can be not just a property video. It could be, it could be vignettes of like 10 seconds of somebody climbing in a tub where it isn't really necessarily that obvious that it's about selling a home. 
Mm-hmm. It's, cr- it's about using custom audiences to make sure that you're getting in front of these high net worth individuals. It's about making sure that that social media is feathered out to the global community that service these individuals, but then also making sure that we keep these relationships alive. Like I speak to people in Beijing, in Tuscany, in London, in Paris, in Sydney, all over the world, just to say, hello, mate, what's going on? Just checking in. Hey, I'm going to be sending you something. I wish it could just be done through social media. Social media is just a tool that then allows me to capture them. Got it. You, you are prolific on social. Now you've got PLG Estates. I'm, let's, I'm, I had a, a, a good look at your Instagram. You've got PLG Estates. Then you've got Peter Lorimer and you have got Peter Lorimer Life and Travel or something. Life and Isn't Times. It? Life and Times, uh, which is quite interesting. PLG Estates speaks for itself. That's where you, you talk about your properties. Peter Lorimer, you give business advice to entrepreneurs, startups, anyone who really wants to listen. And then you <laughs> your own personal one. So it's kind of, I like how you kind of separated that. Is there any particular type of content that really works for your business? Is it the funny stuff? Is it the behind the scenes stuff? Or is it simply a, an expose of a property that you're listed? Essentially, I'm going to speak not as a broker here. I'm going to speak as an agent. When I was coming up through the ranks, I made sure that either my content was informational, entertaining, or infotainment right? So I wanted to create awareness to my sphere of influence, which was pretty extensive in LA, that here's Pete, the good old boy that you know, the creative music guy that, you know, Pete, everybody gets on with. But then here is Pete, the professional that's actually becoming pretty successful. And so I made sure that I had a balance of social media that showed the 360 degree version of Pete Lorimer, which was funny guy, music guy, creative guy, family guy, professional guy, successful guy. And then the most important thing of all is, by Christ, I wish we didn't have to prospect. I still prospect every single day. And I prospect the deepest, darkest crevices of my database. I have no interest in online leads. I couldn't care less about Zillow. I couldn't care less about realtor.com. I have about five to 8,000 people in my database that I reach out personally to on a daily basis. I'll try and hit 20 a day. Is this using your 666 rule? That's it. Go ahead and explain that bad boy. Okay, so 666 is the number of Pete. It is not just the number of the beast. So. When, when agents join, we have a very, very rock and roll office. And they say, so what's your tactic for, for finding business? And I say, you've got to be in league with 666. <laughs> and sometimes people run for the door. So what the 666 rule is, and it works for 555, 999, 12, 12, 12, whatever the number is, is you got to do six emails, six text messages, and six DMs a day, right? So like on on social media, like on LinkedIn or on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, right? 18 touches a day. 18 is quite a lot. And my, my advice is 18 touches of your A, which is people you know, B, people you might know, C, people you kinda know, and D, people you could know. And I try and do a blend, right? So there are four categories there. So maybe I'll do four of each, right? Yeah. Yep. 
And if you do it every single day, and I'm going to give you, a, I've been doing this now for 16 years. Every morning, I crack open my laptop, I look at the names that I'm going to prospect, and I have the same reaction every single day. My head goes, he hates you. She's forgotten you. They're going to use someone else. You know, they think you're crap. Um, they hate music people. And I can talk myself out of every single name. But what I do is I don't allow that to happen. And I literally just go through the motions and utterly divorce myself from the results. I stay only in action and I stay out of the results. Let me understand that because it really applies to me and I'm sure everyone listening. So in my case, I do a lot of keynote speaking at, and emceeing at conferences. I have a database of many years of, of past conference organizers that I've, you know, whose, whose stage I have occupied. I could ring them, but like you, I'm like my immediately I go, oh, I could apply the 666 rule when I finish this interview today. I'll ring such and such. Oh, she might have thought I did a really bad job last time I was on her stage or, you know, um, they won't have any more work for me. I've already done a keynote. You know, this is the kind of conversations that one has with themselves. So how do you break through that? So I'm going to break, down, break that down, right? Mm. Which is both of the reasons for not calling one was based in ego and one was based in fear, right? Yes. She might not have any more work for me. That's fear. She might not have thought I was that good. Ego. Mm. Ego mixed with fear. So you are, one is and one does. Put, if you, as, as prospecting machines, if we can remove our expectations, because both of those comments, I, th I think it's fair to say they fall into expectations, right? Mm. Yes. If we can remove ourselves from expectations, let beautiful Mother Earth, let our, in her wisdom, let her decide what is right and what is wrong. Ah, uh, yeah. Then or our job is this. This is, this is my, my feeling. My job is to wake up every single day and work as hard as I possibly can. The example would be this. If I'm in a boat, my job is to row that boat. The boat has oars and it has a sail. My job is to row that boat as hard as I can. Row, 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 row. But ultimately, what direction the boat goes in is not up to me. Where my boat lands, which beach it lands on, I might be hoping to land on the topless beach with all the pretty girls, but I might end up with on the pensioner's beach if I just let the boat go where it wants to go. And when I arrive on the pensioner's beach, I end up doing all of these sales for these people that want to be empty nesters. Got I don't, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Let the universe decide. You do the work, avoid ego, avoid fear. Let the universe decide. You do what you do best. That's a great answer. Pete, I'm very conscious of the fact that you do have to go, that we were not, this isn't an 11-hour interview, but I just want to wrap things up because all this incredible career, you've been a music producer, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, big name. Bowie, Seal, in excess. You start a real estate agency. You've got 200 staff. You have, I'm sure, just, you know, you're smashing it in all, on all levels of your life. Beautiful family. You then get a phone call one day. I don't know, from Netflix or from someone representing Netflix and go, uh, you know, you're Peter Lorimer, uh, wondering whether you would consider doing a show, an original series on Netflix. Is that what happened? How did that feel? Well, let me tell you, Tim. When it happened, Right. When I got the call, I seriously, you know, because in, 
if you are a, a real estate agent in the central area of, L, of LA, right, Beverly Hills and surrounding areas, you often get these kind of cattle call, not often, but once every three months, you'll get a cattle call email that says, TV producer looking for real estate agents. I had never responded to one of these once. Then I got an email that said, TV producers want Peter Lorimer on a show. Nice. And I'm like, okay, well, at least they took the trouble to put my name in the subject. So I called up this lovely young lady whose name was Ashley, and she was fabulous. And she said, hi, I work for Netflix, and we want you to host a show. And I was like, um, do you think, I don't think you got the right guy, my love. I don't think you got the right bloke. I said, if you want somebody that's like, look, looks like they're about 100 pounds, wears tight Italian suits and shouts at people, I'm like, that's not me, but I'll be happy to give you some recommendations. And she said, I said, so you can probably, you, know, you, might, you might want to just, you know, not waste your time right now. And she was like, no, 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 no. We, 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 we want you. We want Peter Lorimer. And I'm like, uh, I thought it was a hoax at first for real. And then that, that voice of shit, dude, let's, let, yeah. let's go a thousand miles an hour, see where this goes. And I'm like, I got nothing. I have got nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. And I had a chat with her, balls to the wall, cracking jokes, making a laugh. She said, I want to get the chief casting person online, uh, uh, have a Skype with her. I thought the same thing. I'm In my head, I'm like, I'm too fat, too old. I've got this funny accent. They're never going to hire me. <laughs> so I was just balls to the wall with this woman. She was in stitches. And then they said, right, we want to do a chemistry test with you and uh, you and the host. And I'm like, and the other host, I'm like, Bunsen burners and Petri dishes? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was actually up at Inman. Um, I was up at Inman in San Francisco and I was speaking. And I said to them, Look, I'm terribly sorry, but I, I can't do it. So you're probably going to have to get someone else because oh, I'm speaking at the conference. And they were like, uh, Well, we can't move her. She's flown in from New York. And I'm like, You know, sorry, nothing I can do. Anyway, they freaking put me on a plane after I spoke down to LA. Again, all the time, I'm like, what an awesome day. I'll tell the kids about this one day, the near miss. Yeah. And then I'm with her. There was two other, two other geezers that went in before me, uh, really good looking. Actually, one of them was Australian. And, um, and then after it was my turn, and I'm like, well, fuck this. I've got nothing to lose. So I just went for it and had, a, had the, her cracking up, uh, the producers cracking up, and then I got the call that I got it. No. Yeah. And you are how many seasons in now? The, the show is called Stay Here, a uh, real estate show. Do Briefly, just give us a synopsis of what the show is about. Sure. And, uh, and it's the second season? Uh, so we, we've, uh, we're one season deep. Hopefully, we're going to be starting the second season later this year. And um, it is essentially, I am the Gordon Ramsay, without the swearing and without the belittling, of uh, uh, short-term rentals, Airbnbs. I go around the United States. And I go to these Airbnbs that were failing, and then I redesign their business plan. And then Jennifer and, and myself redesign, you know, how they look and yeah. how we launch them and the media and all of that stuff. And, uh, uh, and it's really great and it's really successful. And I've got incredible feedback. And, you know, I'll be honest. What's, what's oh, go on, be honest. And then I, we'll I'll be honest. Them. When I was on the show, I'm like, you know, this is the problem with people. I, I have very, very low self esteem. So I'm always, I suffer from imposter syndrome, which is, I'm, I'm, 
I, I'm always expecting to get the tap on the shoulder and somebody say, we uh, now realize you're actually not the real deal. So if you can just pack up your shit and go. And I didn't unpack until the second city. Because <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to get sent home. Yeah, yeah. Great story. What's it done for PLG? and for your personal brand. I've written a book, Pete, called The Boomerang Effect. And The Boomerang Effect is very simple. It says the more that you put into your marketing, the more it will return multiples. So when a business markets themselves or a person markets themselves, you expect to get sales, inquiry and sales. But what I've found in this modern world of marketing with social media and podcasts and video marketing, all that stuff, is that other amazing things happen when we put our stick our head above the trench, yeah. which is what has happened to you. Clearly, your boomerang effect is incredible. So now what's happened as a result of all this success that you've had? Any other kind of amazing outcomes? So, yeah, I mean, it has. Uh, I, to I totally agree with you, Tim. And, 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 and he here is the deal for anybody listening, right? Our job, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, if you remain in action, like working as hard as you can, even if it doesn't seem like, I mean, obviously, if you're a real estate agent, you're not going to work as hard as you can baking cakes. But if you sometimes are doing stuff, especially social media, right? People are often thinking this is a lot of hard work. It takes so much time. And what's the ROI? Is anything ever going to come of it? The more you try and craft your individuality through marketing and your digital footprint, what Tim just said is absolutely right. You might, you know, we, we're, we're shooting for the target straight ahead of us, but sometimes somebody, something will come completely out of left field, which is what happened with me with the show. And essentially what it's done is he's reignited creative juices. And I have several other shows in development right now because... Oh. It's it's very much like being a record producer. Being a TV show producer is the same as being a record producer. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Peter, it's such a great story. Uh, you are a breath of fresh air, you know. I think hopefully you've inspired a whole lot of people listening to this. I'd love to think we could get you back on the show. Anytime. Let's, let's do it in two hours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I will figure out a way to have you back. That is, you know, we'll we explore. It could be a philosophy segment, ongoing philosophy segment. It could be, you know, you could be an agony art. We could have people write into you. Everyone, check out peterlorimer.com or plgestates.com. That's his business. Pete, absolute pleasure, buddy. Made yeah, up. love you, mate. And, uh, you know, Australia is very, very, very close to my heart. And uh, I think. You know, Australia, for me, and now I hope I'm not going to get hate mail for this, but Here we go. I think Australia, it almost feels like if you smash together, I mean, obviously, Australia is very unique and, and it's its own thing. But what I love is that there are some flavors of, of Britain and it, there are also flavors of the US, but then Australia is unique in, in its own way. And I think that I feel like Australia um, is, is kind of in sync with California in, in some kind of ways, you know? Yeah. Totally agree, mate. Love your work, Pete. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. Real, real honor. How good is that guy? So unbelievably generous in what he shared. Here's what grabbed my attention from chatting with him. Attention grabber number one. 
I love his 666 rule. I've already started applying it. I'm using 888 because 666 kind of freaks me out. Number of the beast and all that. 888. It's meant to be quite a good number according to our Chinese friends. Attention grabber number two. I love how he refers to his team as, and I quote, the island of misfit toys who are all unashamedly different. I love that. I think in a world of sameness, it's wonderful to see character and personality come out in your people and your business. And attention grabber number three, I love how Peter lives in gratitude. Quite simple. He obviously had a life of excess when he was in the music industry and he's turned all that around and he lives in pure gratitude. And I think that came through in what he gave in that interview. Well, that's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time in your diary and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, and doodly doodly, it is time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is... Graham Forrester of NVMS Solutions, who, according to his website, his business delivers end-to-end solutions across a wide spectrum of industry applications to suit your business needs. Now, just between you and I, I actually don't know what that means. I feel really dumb. But anyway, I'm sure it's an awesome business. And this is what Graham had to say. Says, hey Tim, I just wanted to say thanks for the show. It keeps me motivated and energised on my trips around Thailand between our home and the offices. I'm now in the process of getting your podcasts into our business in Australia and New Zealand, as I'm sure they're going to be a game changer for our company. Geez, thanks, Graham. That's awesome. Uh, forever, a this is interesting. Forever, I have been a non-believer in marketing. How wrong I was. Now I am like a kid with new toys. In the past year or so, we have taken on a full-time marketing person, a big investment for a 30-person company, and each week I am driving her nuts with new ideas I get from your shows. I've purchased three copies of your book, looking forward to reading them. Well, each copy will be the same, uh, Graham, so don't read all three. Give the other two away. We have a great business that is all about our people, and it's as fresh today as it was 30 years ago. I will be in Queensland sometime. Would love to ha- catch up for a coffee with you. Absolutely, Graham. Give us a hoy. In the meantime, keep up the great shows. Graham, well done, mate, for you implementing all those ideas. You win so much. $75 flora and fauna voucher, $50 sendal voucher, a lumber punks $100 voucher, a 180 headlamp worth 100 bucks, boxing gloves from Fitness Enhancement 40 bucks, range of lies spirits 500 bucks. Mr. Lee's Noodles, 30 bucks. Jeff Anderson's video marketing course, 197 and $100 tradies voucher, plus promotion on this show and a backlink. Good work to you, Graham. Everyone else, email me, tim at timreid.com.au. Share one idea you've learned from this listening to this show, what impact it's had on your business. If I read it out on air, you win. Before we wrap things up, just a reminder that you'll find plenty more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive full of ideas to grow your business is over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're getting value from listening, then don't keep it a secret. Be sure to let other business owners know about it. 
Now, next week, we catch up with a longtime listener, Tony Knight, whose business captures the life story and family history of loved ones. And I suggest you get the tissues out for this one. He tells an emotional story. This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed, produced by Matt Dwyer. Until next week, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. Listener.